Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Women of Wonder. During this series, we'll dive into the stories of some of the courageous and obedient women of the Bible to see how we can each learn, grow, and be challenged to put our faith into action. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Today we're concluding this series called Women of Wonder, and it's been an exciting series. We've looked at the lives of four women already from the Bible. We're going to look at one more today. We've seen how these women in Scripture were women who were dedicated to God, women who risked their lives for the spread of the gospel and to be obedient to God, women who were integral parts of the nation of Israel and also of the church, providing support and leadership and everything that God called of them. And today we're going to look at one final woman. We're going to look at the life of Mary Magdalene. Now, it's been said about Mary Magdalene, Magdalene, that she is one of the best known and least understood people in the Bible. She's the best known because she's present at some of the most significant times in the life of Jesus. But she's least understood because several biblical stories have been misattributed to her. And then some ancient myths have been attributed to her, as well as books, both ancient and recent, have been written, added to the confusion about her. So let me address all of that before we go on. Uh, some have speculated that Mary Magdalene was the unnamed sinful woman in Luke's gospel who anointed Jesus' feet with her tears and perfume and wiped them with her hair. That was not Mary Magdalene. There is another Mary who imitated that same act later in the ministry of Jesus. That was Mary of the sisters, Mary and Martha. All right. Others have also speculated that she was the unknown, unnamed woman caught in adultery that we read about in John chapter 8. But there's no evidence biblically to support either of those two scenarios being Mary Magdalene. Um, there were several apocryphal books uh, that were written, including one that claims to be Mary Magdalene's account of the life of Jesus. These and many other ancient texts were not included in the Bible because they were considered by scholars to be unreliable fiction. Uh, then there are the modern books that take some of those myths about Mary and try to make a case for their authenticity. Probably the most famous of those works was the 2003 novel, The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. But um, I share all of that with you this morning so that we can separate uh, fact from fiction. Uh, now we're going to look at the facts about Mary Magdalene. The earliest reference to Mary Magdalene says that she was delivered from demons, okay? So let's look at Luke chapter 8. This is where we first see her show up in Scripture. Jesus traveled around from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, came uh, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Hudza, that manager of Herod's household, and Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So Luke tells us that Jesus had both 
male and female disciples who were following him. And Luke writes the names of three of those women, but says there were many other. Now we're just going to focus on Mary Magdalene. Luke writes, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out of. So let's look at that. Magdalene, by the way, was not her last name. Magdalene was uh, the reference to the town that she came from called Magdala, and it's on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was the way that she was referred to to distinguish her from all the other Marys that were following Jesus. Remember, there was Jesus' own mother, Mary, and then there was Mary of Mary and Martha, and still there were more. So to differentiate her, she was called Mary of Magdala or Mary Magdalene. But it's the second part of that phrase that tells us so much about Mary. It says, Mary had been delivered from the demonic possession of seven demons. Now, we don't think too much about demonic possession in, uh, in the 21st century. But if you study demonic possession in the New Testament, you'll see that uh, people who were possessed by demons exhibited different kinds of symptoms. Some of them uh, were insane. Some of them self-mutilated. Some of them experienced blindness or deafness or the inability to speak. Some had seizures, seizures or unspecified crippling illnesses. In the 21st century, many people would like to explain away demonic possession with diagnoses of modern illnesses like epilepsy or dementia or some type of mental illness. But those people miss that Scripture actually acknowledges that all of these illnesses that I just mentioned existed alongside also of people who experienced demonic possession. Let's read in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus, uh, it tells us about all these people were brought to Jesus, all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering from severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them all. Now, I want you to notice something. When you study demonic possession in the New Testament, every case of demonic possession is portrayed as an affliction, as an illness, not as a sin. All right? Yes, there may have been some activity that went along with that demon possession uh, that was sinful, but being possessed by a demon um, was not an acknowledgement that that person was sinning, all right? But you need to understand that opening one's heart to demonic possession uh, allowed things to come in that were ungodly. Um, None of the demonized, demonized individuals in the New Testament is explicitly associated with any sinful behavior. Rather, they're portrayed as, as tortured people tormented by their possession. They're miserable. They're lonely. Uh, They are the outcast of society. Scripture presents them as victims whose lives have been utterly ruined. So with that in mind, we have a window into the life of Mary Magdalene before she was delivered of those demons and healed by Jesus. Remember, she was possessed not by one, not by two, but by seven demons. Um, She was a veritable prisoner of demonic afflictions. 
uh, those afflictions undoubtedly would have included things like depression and anxiety and unhappiness and loneliness and self-loathing and shame and fear and a host of other similar miseries. Uh, in all probability, she suffered even worse torments too, such as blindness or deafness, insanity, or a bunch of other uh, um, disorders commonly associated with victims of demonic possession. Whether her con uh, whatever her condition was, she would have been in perpetual agony. Um, think about it. Seven demons, really, probably seven kinds of agony. People who were possessed by demons in Scripture were always friendless, with the rare exception of a family member who tried to care for them. They were per perpetually restless because of their inability to escape the constant torments of their demonic captors. They were continually joyless because, of all the because all of their life had become darkness and misery. And they were hopeless because there was no earthly remedy for their spiritual affliction. Now, we're not told the specific details of Mary Magdalene's life before Jesus delivered her from those demons. But what we read about others uh, gives us some insight to just how awful it was. In fact, Jesus once talked about something very specific. Let me share with you from the Gospel of Luke. He said, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. In other words, the person I possessed. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person was worse than the first. So we know Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven demons. Maybe Jesus is describing Mary Magdalene's own experience here. It's quite possible that originally she had only been possessed by one demon. Pastor John MacArthur writes this. He said, perhaps she had tried to reform her own life and learn the hard way how utterly futile it is to try to free oneself from Satan's grip. Good works and religion don't atone for sin. And no sinner has it within her power to change her own heart. We can only make cosmetic changes like sweeping the house and putting it in order. But that doesn't remove us from the dominion of darkness or the kingdom of light. Only God can do that. Only the same God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has the power to shine into our hearts and give us the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. This is precisely what Jesus did for Mary Magdalene. He cast those demons out of her life. He healed her. He delivered her from that demonic op oppression. And as a result, Mary Magdalene realized how much she had been given. She knew it. And in her gratitude, she was the most loyal follower of Jesus. She became loyal in both life and in death. Loyal to Jesus. Let's talk about her loyalty in life. Remember back in Luke 8, we saw that after she was delivered from demonic possession, she traveled with Jesus and the band of disciples, which included the 12 um, and the other women and men. Sue Richards points this out. 
To think of women as disciples in training for leadership violated Jewish custom. But Jesus broke the mold in his relationship with women. Women most certainly were among his disciples. We see particularly in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus elevated the role of and position of women. Now, as Jesus and his followers traveled from town to town, his followers certainly helped him in the mission to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, which would be that salvation is available to all people through Jesus. So we can speculate that after Jesus preached, women ministered to women, men ministered to men, and they shared the good news with one another. Now, there is one detail in that verse that I hope that you noticed. Let me go back to it. The women were helping to support them, Jesus and the disciples, out of their own means. Remember, Jesus' 12 disciples had left their occupations to join Jesus in his ministry. Luke tells us that it was primarily these women who provided funds to buy food and other necessities. Early Jewish literature makes it clear that well-to-do women were frequent contributors to rabbis and their students because Jewish rabbis were responsible to feed and take care of their students. So the need was very real. Mary Magdalene apparently was well-to-do. And she was a committed follower of Jesus. And she not only followed him as a disciple herself, but she also supported him and the other disciples. Now, I, I think it's only natural in our cultural climate to wonder about the appropriateness of men and women traveling together. Um, it's not a new thought. Uh, my undergraduate degree was in religion from a secular university. I'll never forget the name of one of the books that we had to read in a class about Christianity. It was called Jesus the Magician. And uh, the thesis of the book was basically this, that Jesus was a magician who did magic tricks. That was how they explained the miracles away. Who led uh, a free love commune and that all the, the disciples were part of uh, that anything goes society. But... You know, think this through. Uh, this book was really just uh, some salacious speculation that ignored the evidence of history and the lives of the apostles. It, it, it ran counter to the culture of Judaism itself. Judaism was attracted to people from, that were not part of Judaism. Why? Because of the high moral standards that were held. And some of those high moral standards had to do with sexual relationships. But take it a little step further, okay? Think about this. If Jesus was just a guy who ran a sex commune and wasn't raised from the dead, would the 12 disciples have kept that lie for the next 40 years? Remember that most of the disciples died as martyrs for the faith. So think about this. If you were supporting a fake Messiah and it was all based on lie, would you die a torturous death or would you recant to save yourself? None of them recanted. All of them lived their lives for Jesus and they died as followers of Jesus. So remember this. Jesus respected 
men and women and appropriate relationships. And most of all, he was raised from the dead and the disciples knew that and they saw that. So knowing that gives us full assurance that Jesus respected all of his followers and had the highest caliber of appropriateness with everyone. Mary Magdalene's love and loyalty to Jesus had nothing to do with the sexual relationship. It had everything to do with the truth that she lived a horrible and tormented life for years. And then she met Jesus and he cast out not one, not two, but all seven of those demons and delivered her life into freedom. She had been delivered and her life had been changed forever and she was loyal in life and death because of all that he had done for her. So let's talk about her loyalty in Jesus' death. When Jesus was crucified, it was a public event. People came to watch. It was part of the culture of public execution. But those who loved him and followed him came out of love and compassion for both him and for his mother, Mary. Mary was there, and so the followers of Jesus came to care for her and for Jesus. Of those who came, Mary Magdalene is mentioned the most, but there were others. In the Gospel of John, we read, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. In fact, of all the followers who stood there, it was only a handful of the women who were followers and one of the male disciples. All the others had run away in fear and grief and were hiding. But Mary Magdalene, despite her fear, despite her grief, despite the pain, was there for Jesus. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and John record that there were four women there, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Salome, the mother of James and John, and Mary, the mother of Joseph and the other James. Um, and they remained there until the bitter end. There was nothing for them to do but watch and pray and grieve. And it must have seemed uh, horrible to have to see the one they loved and trusted above all others torn from their midst so violently. And they stood there in a crowd of bloodthirsty fanatics who were screaming for the death of their beloved Lord. And with that mad fur of hatred, uh, when it reached the very pinnacle of, of its intensity, they themselves could have become victims of the mob, but they never shrank away. They never left the scene until he had died. But even then, some of them stayed close to Jesus' body. Such was the magnetism of their loyalty and their love for Jesus. Mary Magdalene was one of those who stayed close. And she was able to tell the disciples where Jesus' body had been laid. In Mark's gospel, we see that Joseph of Arimathea, he was a member of the religious leadership of Jerusalem, but he was also a secret follower of Jesus. And he went to Pontius Pilate before Jesus died, and he asked if he could take the body and bury it. And this is what we read. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. 
But then he rolled a stone across the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Mary cared for Jesus and was loyal to him in life and in death. She wanted to make sure that his body was cared for and respected. Now, here's what you need to know. This was on Friday. And if you know anything about Judaism, the Sabbath for Jews starts at sundown on Friday. That is the beginning of the Sabbath. And it ends at sundown on Saturday. And so this was late in the afternoon on Friday. And so she watched as Joseph of Arimathea hastily took Jesus' body, wrapped it in linens, took it to a tomb and sealed it there because he wanted to do that before the Sabbath began because uh, devout Jews were prohibited from doing any kind of work on the Sabbath, even caring for their dead loved ones. When she saw the tomb was sealed, she left, assured that his body was safe. She observed the Sabbath as best she could Friday night, all day Saturday. Uh, when the Sabbath ended, uh, in Scripture we see that she went out and purchased some spices. These were used for embalming of bodies. But because it was late in the day, it was dark, she waited till early Sunday morning to go and take care of Jesus. This is what we read. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. And then very early on the first day of the week, Sunday, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. So in her devotion to Jesus, Mary Magdalene wanted to care for his body. She got the supplies. She gathered the women to help her, and she planned on being there at first light. Now she had seen how brutal his death was. She had seen his lifeless body carried into the tomb. She had no thoughts whatsoever of him ever being alive again. Resurrection could not have ever been on her mind. She was coming to embalm the Lord's body. She was coming to give him one final act of devotion and love. So she went. And from Scripture, we discover this truth. She was privileged to see him first. Mary gets to the tomb with the other women. She sees that the stone has been rolled away. They look in. They see the body is gone, thinking that the body has been stolen. She runs back to the disciples, and she tells them that the body is gone. Peter and John then bolt back to the tomb. They see it's empty. And they run back to tell the other disciples. Meanwhile, Mary gets back to the tomb and she's so upset she stays outside. And this is what we read. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead 
to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And we read, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with this news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them all that he had said to her. I want you to notice something. Mary didn't recognize Jesus until he spoke her name. And then she turned around and clung to him. In his ministry, Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. And you remember what he said? He said this. He said, the good shepherd calls his sheep by name and his sheep recognize his voice. He called her by name, Mary. She recognized his voice, Rabboni. Overcome with joy, she hugged him. She hugged him like she would never let him go again. She was the first to see him alive and to speak to him. Scripture tells us that that Mary Magdalene, the one who had been delivered from demons, the one who had become a devoted follower, loyal to him with her life, with her resources, in life and in death, she served him. And he gave her the privilege of being the first person to see her alive. I want you to notice something about Mary Magdalene. When she was delivered from demons, she knew what Jesus could do, and she believed in him, and she followed him with unwavering faith. After being delivered, she became a devoted follower of Jesus, and she understood that a disciple of Jesus doesn't just believe in Jesus, but a disciple follows and does what Jesus teaches. This is important. Have you ever noticed, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus never called out the people to believe in him? He didn't say, come and believe in me. He said, come follow me. Come follow me. Why? Because he knew that if you followed him, you would have to believe in him. Nobody follows a leader for long that they don't believe in, all right? Come follow me. He calls us to follow him. It is what defines being a disciple of Jesus, one who follows Jesus. That entails both believing and doing what he taught us to do. It's interesting uh, that when you study God's relationship with Israel and when you see Jesus talking to Israel about their relationship with God, uh, in either the Old Testament or New Testament, it's often referred to as uh, those who don't follow him being an adulterous people, an adulterous nation. Why? Because the best example of what it means to follow somebody is to love them with one's full heart, soul, and mind. And if you love somebody, you'll be faithful to somebody. 
And he understood how important that was. And he understood that if you didn't believe in him or didn't follow him, or if you just gave lip service and said you believed in him, but you still didn't follow him, in fact, you turned to the ways of the world or to other false gods, he would call that being adulterous, being unfaithful. So what he's saying is that to be a follower is not just to say you believe, but it's to follow, which includes believing and living out what he teaches us. Now, let me be careful here. We're not talking about being saved by doing things, but we are talking about true faith. True discipleship is, translates in not just to belief, but living our lives according to Jesus' teaching. So think that through. Mary Magdalene gave her life in service to Jesus. She gave life service to him. She did not give lip service to him. She gave life service to him. She uh, gave her life to follow him. And that's what we need to recognize is that he calls us to follow him, not to give lip service but to follow him with our lives. So where are you? Are you a follower of Jesus? Or do you just say you believe in him, but it doesn't change your life? We all have to decide that. We have to decide if we're going to be a follower of Jesus or if we're going to just uh, give him lip service. Are we going to give him life service or are we going to give him lip service? So this is what I want to do this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to go into a song. But before we go into that song, what I'm going to ask you to do is spend some time in prayer. And in that prayer time, I'm going to start off and I'm going to lead us and I'm going to challenge us to be able to talk to Jesus about our faithfulness to him, about living as fully devoted followers of Jesus. And then I'm going to give us the opportunity to actually apologize when we haven't. So to start off with, I'm just going to ask you if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to start us off in prayer and then I'm going to leave some silence for you to pray. Father, as we recognize how Mary Magdalene lived her life as a fully devoted follower of Jesus, we see that she didn't give him lip service. She gave him life service. She lived her life for him. She was fully sold out for him. And Lord, I know you call all of us to do the same thing, to not just say we believe, but to live as followers, to follow what you teach and to become people who identify with you as our Lord and our leader. Lord, we confess that we've not always done that well, that we haven't followed you faithfully and we ask for forgiveness and we ask that you would help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So some of us need to talk to you about that, Lord, when we've failed you. So, Lord, hear our prayers. Go ahead and just talk to God. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.